The history of television is a history of failure. For every television series that lasted years and years, there were dozens that lasted only one season or less. But did they deserve to die? Or were they... Cancelled too soon? Welcome back to Cancelled Too Soon, the podcast where we review television shows that lasted only one season or less. My name is William Bibiani. I'm a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold. I too am a critic and everybody calls me Whitney Seibold. I know it's not so clever a nickname, but uh, it's functional. You know, you don't get to choose your own nickname. That's true. Yeah. Uh, anyway, welcome back to Cancel Too Soon. Uh, we are still doing our suddenly last season event in which we focus on TV shows that lasted only one season last season. That's right. And, and, and boy, howdy, is there no shortage of those ever? No, it was really hard to narrow it down. So we asked our patrons over at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network uh, to pick almost all of the episodes in this year's suddenly last season. Uh, took a bit of a break while we uh, caught up on some things, but we are back and we are talking about a show about a comic book and diseases and the end of the world and conspiracy theories and why some people don't trust vaccines. And um, I might I might see why this one didn't. Um, <laughs> this a, one might have been bad timing. Yeah. Uh, well, let's, what's the name of this show, William? Let's talk about Utopia. is a story about a genius scientist who made horrible viruses. Ebola, MERS, Zika. Predicted in dystopia years before the first case in the real world. Yeah, you're one of those, huh? It all has to mean something. (laughs) What have you done today to earn your place in this crowded world? That's great, it starts with an earthquake. You want to stay alive? Come with me. They had to kill every single person who's seen Utopia. Everything in Utopia is real. Viruses, biowarfare, man-made disease. I'm the foremost expert on this virus. Jesus. It's a pretty serious situation. I bet your ass it's a serious situation. The Stearns flu has now been declared a national pandemic. This is our undoing. Utopia is based on the book by Sir Thomas More. No, uh, Utopia is based on a British TV series uh, by the same name that lasted two seasons, so we can't talk about it here. Dang it. Uh, But the American one did, so we're we're talking about the American adaptation. It uh, is an Amazon show. Yeah, on Amazon Prime. And uh, it aired on Amazon uh, on 2020, uh, late September of 2020. Mm -hmm. Lasted eight episodes. It's about a global pandemic. And, uh, yeah, I can see why it wasn't successful right yeah. away. It's it maybe not which, the escapist uh, entertainment people were looking for right now. Uh, but which, the, is, which is a pity, because I dug the hell out of this show. I can see why you did. I didn't... <laughs> I, I, 
it's not, I'm, I'm not going to unequivocally mm. acclaim this this particular one, but I can see why you really, really dug it. Mm. Uh, yeah, this is, uh, again, this is a sort of conspiracy show. It was created by, so to speak, considering it's based on a mm. pre-existing show, the American version was created by Gillian Flynn. Yeah. And uh, Gillian Flynn is probably best known as the author and screenwriter of the of, of Gone Girl. Which was a hit film. Hit film was a hit novel, became a hit film. It's a really great film. I never read the novel, but the movie kicks ass. Hmm. Uh, she's actually a professional TV critic who moved into the realm of uh, writing fiction and very successfully, I might add, uh, she has also worked on uh, the HBO miniseries Sharp Objects. Which uh, is based on her novel. Yep. She's, uh, she's quite good. She is quite good, and she has yeah. a, a good... A good flair for, uh, like, pulp violence. She's exceptionally good, I find, at making sure the audience is never bored. Yeah. And that's a skill that we sometimes forget about. I think that there's a lot of really good TV shows, even, that are trusting that the audience is with us. We're going to binge this or whatever the hell. And we're, we're willing to wait an entire season for Peter Dinklage to walk across a continent before he finally does something cool. And Gillian Flynn is clearly the kind of writer who is just like every five pages, something needs to happen that will at least attempt to blow your mind. And even the, at least the attempt is exciting. Oh, you thought you were safe? Oh, you thought you were safe? Well, here's a spoon. Oh shit. (laughs) Where's that spoon going to (laughs) go? Well, I'll give you a hint. It rhymes with eye socket. Okay, it's just an eye socket. Yeah, I've got a, uh, I've, I've got a, um, oh, what do you call them? A, um, what do you call the thing where you put it on your hand and like it helps, it stops your hand from burning when you touch hot things? Uh, oven mitt. An oven mitt. <laughs> <laughs> Wait here, you've won a free oven mitt. Imagine you got an oven mitt and a bunch of glass objects. I'm going to make something that'll fuck you up. Uh, it's, a, it's an incredibly violent show in some very, very creative ways. Uh, but the premise is pretty novel, and it really spirals out from a, a rather cute, I'm going to say that word just in terms of like just sort of clever uh, premise, um, it is about a group of people who are obsessed with a particular comic book. It's a cult comic book. It was called Dystopia. And they believe that Dystopia wasn't just a really cool comic book that was drawn really beautifully and told an interesting mm. story about um, you know, this person who was kidnapped by an evil genius and forced to make designer viruses for him and his daughter escapes just to try to mm. rescue him. That's uh, a story in the comic book within the fiction of this show. Yeah, that's the story of Dystopia. But there was a sequel that was never released and is like spoken of in hushed tones. Like Mm. in movies, this would be like the spider pit footage in King Kong, except, but the, the author of both dystopia and utopia, the fictional author Mm. uh, is this mysterious recluse that nobody's ever contacted. Yeah. And people who are a fan of dystopia have analyzed and hyper analyzed the text. And they believe that dystopia predicted every prominent viral outbreak of like the last 20 years. Mm. So if they find the new comic Utopia, they believe that they might be able to predict the future of basically mankind's fight for survival. Uh, And we meet in the pilot episode, uh, a group of people. They don't know each other. They only know each other Mm. online, Uh, but they are part of like an online group that is really fascinated with Mm. dystopia and utopia and, at the beginning of the film, a couple of people the, move the, into their the series. Uh, sorry, sorry, beginning of the series. At the uh, beginning of the a, series, a, a young couple moves into like their their old grandfather's home, and they find 
Utopia. They find yeah. a few pages of Utopia. And they, and they, know, noth- they know nothing about yeah. it, but they know it's really valuable. So they go to a local comic book convention, hole up in a hotel room, and like welcome people in one at a time to make bids, to auction it off. Yeah. And they hope to get like maybe $10,000. Yeah. And our protagonists are all, uh, you know, shiftless losers who mm. are interested in acquiring the comic for their own uh, you know, sort of obsessive needs, but what they don't realize is that someone else is trying to acquire Utopia for reasons that actually have to do with a sinister conspiracy. Mm. So, in the pilot episode, all of our uh, you know fun characters, uh, led by uh, the incredible Jessica Roth from the mm. Happy Death Day movies, yeah, and she she's great, she's and... so good and everything. <laughs> um, she uh, she so they're all they all meet, they get together. They are going to bid on Utopia, and then they all go off to party, and then a couple of guys walk into the hotel, and they start mercilessly assassinating everyone who's seen <laughs> Utopia, and they realize that, oh, we missed a few, and so and they got to go hunting. And they're incredibly cold about it, and they're really calculating and rude. They, uh, they murder some people with guns, they murder some people with heroin. Uh, they arrange bodies in such a way so that they're framing other people as they go. And they're these, these are not people who are doing it out of mm. passion or doing it because they're maniacs. They're doing it because this and is what they do and what they're good in, at. In a very calculated way. And uh, of the two of them, there's a character named Arby, who uh, is uh, the much more uh, job-focused of the two of them. The other one's a little bit more freewheeling, has a little bit more of a sense of humor. He's much colder. Mm. And uh, he'll become a major player later on. Yeah, he's played by Christopher Denham, who is a character actor. He's been in everything. Uh, Perhaps most prominently, he was in the movie Argo. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was also in Fast Color, which uh, got a lot of uh, attention a couple of years ago. I like Fast Color a lot. Um, Really, really good actor. And uh, while we are seeing that Utopia is exactly as important as these conspiracy kooks who are our heroes believe it is... Mm. We keep cutting back to John Cusack, who is the head of a chemical, of a biochemical organization, and he has invented a new kind of synthetic meat, which may or may not be directly linked to a new viral outbreak that is killing children. <laughs> yeah, escapist entertainment right there. Yeah. And, and uh, he plays a rather kind of benevolent figure at first Mm -hmm. uh where he seems to want to really help the world and we get also cut to his home and he has adopted many many children so he's Mm -hmm. actually taking care of this gigantic family and he talks about uh, these really high high high-minded philosophies mm -hmm. that he has about how we all have to earn our place taking care of the planet yeah Yeah. and and his catchphrase uh is whenever they sit down to eat rather than uh praying he, he asks them one by one uh and he says this multiple times throughout the show what have you done to earn your place in this crowded world yeah so do keep on doing things to promote your self-worth. If I were to guess, I would say that John Cusack probably inspired a, uh, was inspired for a lot of his performance on Steve Jobs. For sure. A uh, very yeah. famous idea man, uh, you know, believed in the big picture and uh, was also, for people who knew him, an asshole. <laughs> right. Uh, so... We got that going for us. We also have, uh, we don't meet these characters until later, but uh, Rain Wilson uh, shows up as well. He is He's a, a base, basement dwelling virologist who discovered something really great like a decade ago. Well, by really great, I mean really deadly. He well, discovered, he like, discovered this incredibly a, horrible disease. A deadly virus, and he was able to uh, find a cure for this deadly disease of an outbreak. But it was long ago enough that 
he had like it's it's a what have you done for me lately sort of scenario or yeah. he hasn't hasn't really proved himself. Yeah. And he's the one who first catches wind of the outbreak caused by John Cusack's meat. Yeah. Um it's a it's a big sprawling narrative and it all really kicks into high gear, not with the murder, not with the viral outbreak, not with the synthetic meat. It really kicks into high gear when at the end of the first episode, the protagonist of the comic book mm-hmm. The, char- the character is named Jessica Hyde. Yep. The protagonist of the comic book, played by Sasha Lane. From American Honey. Yeah. Uh, she shows up. <laughs> like, the character is now here. And she uh, she's looking for Utopia, and she's trying to find her kidnapped father, and she is trying to find and destroy the mad scientist mm-hmm. who forced her father mm-hmm. to make all those viruses, mm-hmm. because it turns out Utopia is a biopic. <laughs> it's a biography. And, yeah. and so, yeah, there's all these weird things about the identity of the character in the book, Mr. Rabbit, mm-hmm. who in the comic book is a rabbit, but in real life is some sort of uh, wicked mastermind who's behind uh, some sort of bizarre uh, asylum for children where they're conditioning kids and also killing them. Mm -hmm. Uh, And she, uh, the Jessica Hyde character, is a complete bonkers villain character almost. Yeah, she's been living living on the lam. She murders without thinking about it. She doesn't care about human life. Mm -hmm. She only cares about the task at hand. She's like... uh, uh, a, a young punk rock Jack Bauer in a lot of ways. Yeah, she's she's been on the run for so long that she's completely lost any connection she ever had to humanity, if indeed she ever had any. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she views human beings as either tools for her to exploit in her mission to find her father and kill Mr. Rabbit, or someone who is completely expendable and you might as well put a bullet in their head if they're inconveniencing yeah. you. Which is a problem for me... Because at the end of episode two, and again, we talk spoilers throughout the whole series mm. here, so fair warning. Uh, because at the end of episode two, she kills Jessica Roth. Yeah. Yeah. She's she's right in the middle of this thing where people are starting to panic because people have died. Their families have mm. died. They're really starting to freak out. And Jessica Roth is like, you don't have to kill her. We're going to get through this whole thing together. And then Jessica Hyde kills Jessica sh- Roth. Shoots her right through the head. And, and the justification is we don't need two leaders. I need to be in charge here. She was taking up my air. Yeah, she was. She's she's asserting her authority. People were listening to her instead of me, and I can't have that. Mm. And um, so I'm not on Jessica Hyde's side. No, not at for least. for a little while. <laughs> this is <one laughs> until those... you realize yeah. uh, that this is one of the that it, she ends up being involved in a plot where she is actually up against people who are more evil than she is. It's one of those and, movies, and we also learn why why she became as evil as she did. Anyway. It's sorry. one of the, it's one of those shows mm. where a lot we're introduced to a lot of people and some of them are really, really horrible. Mm. Or do completely horrible, inexcusable things. And as we get to know them, the show wants us to connect with them on a different level and understand them on a different level. And maybe all of a sudden really start thinking of them not as the villain but as the hero however in my experience i think some people are very eager to forgive a charismatic and interesting character in a tv series because you start spending more time with them right but for me i don't know there's a character in game of thrones who did you didn't watch game of thrones did you not a frame okay at the big first episode of game of thrones uh there is a character who 
uh, without thinking a second thought about it, murders a child to cover up an affair. Like, okay. or attempt anyway. He throws him out of a tall tower. Okay. And he's just like, the things I do for love. So, <laughs> sort of like par for the course on that show. Yeah, pretty, yeah. pretty awful, actually. And it's just this incredibly callous, unforgivable... Uh, you know, absolute contempt for human life if it doesn't serve your own purposes. And then later in the series, they really want to make us feel bad for this guy. And I'm like, I don't care how many seasons you dedicate <laughs> to me. He never really... Like, atones for that. Shook off or, the, the fact that he threw a... Yeah. Well, the, like, the he's way, still the kind of... Even yeah. if he is the kind of person who would do other heroic things, he's also the kind of person who would do that. Mm. And that makes him a... I'm sorry, to me, he's a piece, he's a, he's a piece of crap. I don't really... I, I can only again if he does something useful for the world at large great I'm glad something useful was done but he still sucks the uh, the way to uh, tell that story mm-hmm. and have us feel sympathy for that guy is put him in a moral universe where that is not as bad a crime as it looks to yeah. an ordinary human being watching the show yeah and from what I understand there's like people are like desecrating corpses. Oh, and there's so much. It, there's it, so much know, going on in Game of Thrones. Incest and a lot of sexual assault. Well, like, he was, all he, kinds was of he was doing things. some of those things. Oh, okay. Well, so, yeah. in addition to everything else, so he was, like, he was also if, like in, in this depraved world. And we're going to see a show like Game of Thrones because it's really salacious. Uh, yeah. Throwing a kid off a roof might not be the worst thing you can do. In the I, don't, I don't. I'm not complaining about it as a plot point. If you're oh. trying to introduce him as a horrible villain, mm-hmm. yeah, good job. You did it. Uh, but my my whole thing was over the course of the series they really tried to redeem him and I just felt they never sufficiently tackled for the show anyway like uh-huh. in terms of the chronology of when we were watching it the original sin they never quite made up for that and there are some characters in this show as well who I, I know that like they like sort of go from bad guys to good guys or at the very least anti heroes who mm. do things that help our protagonists. Um, and I'm glad they're there to do that. On the other hand, I don't see them as being redeemed in any way. And I hope they don't get to just go off and live mm-hmm. in sunshine and puppy land. You know, it's <laughs> well, only, only so well, far they, we can go. They, they don't. Well, but, uh, the yeah. show ended. I don't, who knows where they would have ended up. I suppose so. But yeah, the show where, got canceled. where we left the characters, I don't think they were, you know, they'd gotten away with anything. Well, it's also just, just as involved in this horrible web of intrigue as they ever were to be fair this isn't a sunshine and puppies kind of show this is actually an incredibly cynical and almost immaturely cynical show (laughs) it it starts with yeah just a brutal slaughter of many many characters Mm -hmm. and yeah the violence will continue apace yeah Uh, it it takes a lot of of glee in its violence yeah well one of our main characters uh, is being interrogated by rb and the other guy and they, the other they guy did, dies quick. We don't remember his name. Yeah, <laughs> he, he dies yeah quickly in that episode. But uh, Arby puts out uh, it's a salt bleach and a spoon. It's like yeah. uh, first time... the salt, then the bleach, then the spoon. And then there's going to be some eye trauma in that scene. And in yeah. fact, the it's... that character goes on the rest of the show With... sans eye. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and um, it's a vicious hunk of work, honestly. Mm. And I feel like in, in that Gillian Flynn sort of way. Well, I don't know if it is specifically in a Gillian Flynn sort of way it feels like I mean granted she did it obviously but this feels like a Mark Millar uh kind of way he's the author of Kick-Ass yeah I was gonna say it's it's not it doesn't have that kind of self-congratulatory bro energy no it doesn't have bro energy and I'm Mm -hmm. glad for that I do feel like it's kind of proud of how in your face it's being Mm -hmm. and that's not that's not negative or positive I think that's just a tone 
I think it's just a matter of, hey, we're going to open this episode with like a character like urinating while holding everyone else at gunpoint because they don't trust them. That's like the opening shot. Mm. And we're going to vividly see it. And I'm just sort of like, I don't know if we needed that. I feel like you're just kind of trying to grab our attention in this really kind of clumsy kind of way. I'll say this. I, I think it worked. Well, I mean, Grab me. Fair I'm, enough. I'm watching you. I don't know. I just, there's a lot of times where Here's I feel like a, they're trying really, yeah. really hard. And I feel like at some point I'm just a little exhausted. And I think uh, you right. can, you're at an 11. You could be a nine and I'd be fine with that. I, I felt like I was, I was like, handcuffed to a car that's going just as fast as I can run. So I'm being pulled along, but I'm not suffering any trauma yet. I was, it was getting at just the right quick pace for me. That's a hell of an image. Mm. You realize that ingrained within that image is mm. you are still handcuffed to a car. Oh yeah. Because it's, it's pretty vicious, isn't it? Okay. <laughs> and it's, and it's shoving some pretty violent images at me. But as the, the show continues, we do learn that, uh, Rain Wilson, the Rain Wilson character has found, a that there is this new outbreak and it, he finds out where it might have come from. Mm-hmm. And he's brought in by the John Cusack character to uh, A, come up with a cure and B, also uh, like control the parameters of the cure. Like it's, mm-hmm. he's not just going to distribute it and cure everybody. It's about giving it to the right people first. Well, what he's really trying to do, what John Cusack is trying to do mm-hmm. is sort of manage the publicity of the pandemic. Yeah. And what we quickly see over time is that he is trying to manipulate people. And at first you think he's just doing it to protect his company and his legacy and his invention. And then eventually you realize, and it really doesn't take very long because um, they didn't get John Cusack to play a nobody. <laughs> uh, John Cusack is, it has a very at, sinister conspiracy uh, in mind. At, at first you think he might be like actual benevolent guy who's just sort of swept up into this thing that mm-hmm. he's not responsible for. He's respons- Of course, he's responsible. Yeah, for he's yeah. You got he's, John Cusack. He's the mastermind yeah. of this this whole conspiracy and that sinister prayer. What have you done to earn your earn your place in this crowded world? Goes to a much much larger long term plan that he's been working on. Yeah, and his plan, that goes to his very very basic philosophy. And his plan. He's like a billionaire philanthropist, but mm-hmm. he's what he's actually using his billions for uh, is a plan to save the world from itself. By using designer viruses. Uh, and the basic plan, and this is all unfolded over the course of time, and Rain Wilson discovers bits of it, and Jessica Hyde discovers bits of it, but the plan, as we are initially introduced to it, is he has created this virus, or he has imported this virus, um, in order to shock everyone into absolute terror so that everyone is clamoring to fast track through the FDA a. Um, uh, a vaccine and then he might be able to hide something within the vaccine mm. and that's a conspiracy theory people have been throwing out for a long time don't take the flu shot the flu shot mm. has got mind control drugs in it and stuff mm. like that it's nonsense mm. um but so uh, regardless it's playing off of these kinds of conspiracy uh concepts and um and so yeah we're we're totally against them but yeah, it turns out that the actual plan, and we're just jumping ahead here because okay. honestly, the 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 main arc of the story is pretty simple in some regards. It's how it is portrayed that is complicated. Yeah, well, but the, it's, it's where they get the information. There's a, yeah. a CIA agent who finds Jessica Hyde and talks to our main cast of nerd characters for a little bit, mm-hmm. and uh, 
they get a that's few. A, a so, that's a Sonia Son from uh, The Wire, who was a great actor. I, oh, okay. I don't see enough of. I yeah, really I, like her a lot. I think it's the first time I might have seen her. Yeah. Uh, there's also uh, this this mysterious homeless woman who might be like the supernatural creature, who uh, like. That's played does by like Cameron a, Mannheim, by the way. Yeah, and she, almost unrecognizable. Yeah, she's she's in all this like yeah, makeup and wig yeah. and this costume, and she puts on a voice, and yeah, uh, and she fights Jessica Hyde to the death in a scuzzy basement public bathroom mm-hmm. somewhere. Uh, and then like and, Jessica and, and Hyde and has to out, remove her fingernails and, yeah, and, and like uh, and pulls yeah pulls off her fingernails, and there's a code underneath there. It's like this is the kind of wild conspiracy that is so unrealistic. I felt like it was it was like. They were sinking out of reality. And here's the thing, though. I was I, here's the deal because the mm. conspiracy is absurd and involves mm. like John Cusack planning for decades to like raise like an entire generation of children who are completely dedicated to this cult and will do anything for him, sacrifice their lives, mm. give up their identities, uh, become assassins. And they're um, raised from childhood in his employ. Yeah, and to, in, to and in his philosophy. Yeah, yeah. Um, and RB is one of them, and that's why uh, he's mm. such a weird assassin. Um, but uh, the thing about the conspiracy is that as elaborate as it is, as absurd as it is, it's got way too many moving parts mm. for it to ever be effective, like in a re- in a real situation. And it just sort of reminds you just how absurd most conspiracy theories are. Uh it actually does come together. And this is mm. something that I remember being very frustrated by on the X-Files. When I was watching the X-Files, when the X-Files came out in the 1990s, and it was one of the early shows uh, to take the episodic format, but try to seed within the episodic format an ongoing narrative on mm. this conspiracy that the government might be teaming up secretly with aliens and that they might be trying to create a virus uh, that would allow the president to take on you know emergency powers and start a fascist super state, and it was somehow going to involve bees. That's all we knew, <laughs> um, and that was all. That was all concocted, by the way, because Gillian Anderson got pregnant. Yeah. They had to write her. They had to write one of their two leads off of the show, so they yeah. just said, um, "The aliens, uh, aliens took her, took her and yeah. they took her, and they took her baby." And, yeah. and so we'll have to write her off the show. And now Mulder has to figure out this conspiracy. Okay, go. Yeah, and, and that just spun off into this gigantic mythology. But for a lot of people, and I remember this was like you know the articles in Entertainment Weekly back when Entertainment Weekly was kind of driving the pop culture conversation about a lot of these things before the internet took over that sort of wing of marketing. There were all these talks about, like, what's the actual, what's the conspiracy in the X-Files? And here are our prime suspects. And what's really happening? We think we know the answers. We've been paying attention to all the clues. And what you realize as you watch the show is that they don't have an answer. They they're making it up as yeah. they go along. It sounds mm. pretty good like it, when it, all they're doing is asking questions. But once they start answering them, you realize that they didn't have any answers. And they're not allowed to simply answer the question because the show needs to be able to go on for nine seasons. So it actually gets really tiresome. And then you see the reboot and you find out like what their actual conspiracy theory was. Now they've had a lot of time to think about it and it's worse than anything they ever had before. <laughs> yeah, Utopia A was based on an existing show. So they actually had a structure to go back to. Mm-hmm. And that and show uh, clearly did some thinking. So, yeah. And uh, yeah, they, I, because this is um, not the nineties, this is modern TV. They're planning out the the whole season as a gigantic story anyway. So yeah. they, they actually, we learned lessons from the X-Files is my point. Like the yeah. X-Files wasn't satisfying mm-hmm. in that regard. So now shows are actually mm-hmm. concocting the whole conspiracy. So that the conspiracy makes sense. Mm-hmm. And even though it's ridiculous, 
I enjoyed that because at least the pieces fell together. Yeah, everything fell together. Uh, something else I appreciate is the use of the comic book itself within mm-hmm. the story. Um, I'm, I was reminded of M. Night Shyamalan's Unbreakable, a film I like, actually. Yeah. And a big, a, film. a big conceit of Unbreakable, though, is that uh, the Samuel L. Jackson character, uh, Elijah... Cross? Cross. Before he was called Mr. Glass. Yeah, I think it's Elijah, yeah. His first name was Elijah. I'll look it up. Uh, he was the purveyor of, of, of comic book art. He owned a gallery of comic book art, and he was obsessed with comic book mythologies. Elijah and Price. Elijah Price. He was so close. All right. Yeah, that, yeah that's a Schmodown question. Remember that. Uh, but Elijah Price sold uh, comics, and there's even a, a speech he gives in the movie about how this superhero had never been depicted this way before, and a villain never been depicted this way before, and that's why this piece of art is actually very valuable and important. But you look at the actual piece of art, and it's clearly they just hired a guy to sketch something. Mm. Like, they didn't really think out the way it was going to be used. It didn't look like a real comic book. It looked like something that was made up for the movie. Mostly, yeah. And Utopia at least looks like a real comic book. Like, they actually put some production value into the fake yeah. comic. It looks like show. a cult comic book in which everything is really handsomely painted. Yeah. Uh, but it it's, does look like the kind of thing that would make people go, shit, we should nominate this for some Eisners. Yeah, it, it, you know? it looks like an important piece of comic art. Yeah. Um, I'm not I'm not sure who the artist was they oh. got to actually illustrate those. Maybe it was uh, a team I, of I artists. I have some theories, but actually, let me see if I can yeah. find that out. That's actually, I should have yeah. looked that up earlier. Um, uh, but yeah, the... That the actual like drawings are really important, and they find clues kind of hidden within the art, and so we get a lot of close-ups of these pages, and the importance of the these pages are really important. Uh, we do. Uh, I did see that they actually put a lot of work into making it look like something you might not see right away. The clues aren't so obvious, but they're obvious enough that a TV audience could see them. And when you're flipping through the pages, it looks like wow, this is something I might actually want to read. Uh, and that actually is kind of important if it's an important piece, right? Like the yeah. centerpiece of your story. I, I recognize the artwork and I wasn't sure because it's been a while since I've been like deep mm. in uh, comic book. You know, it's been a while since I read comic books on it with any kind of regularity. Uh, but uh, it's from an author, it's from an illustrator from Brazil. And I'm going to butcher this name and I apologize. How uh, 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 Ruas? João. João. João Ruas. Um, uh they were a cover artist on Fables, which was this very long-running Vertigo oh, okay. series about uh, fairy tale creatures who were living in secret in the world. And mm. I read some of it; it was a really good comic. But the cover art was particularly extraordinary. And this is nothing but cover art; it's like all yeah. all elaborate paintings. Yeah, in, but in this is, but the interiors are are gorgeous too, and uh, and they do a really good job of hiding within the pages all of these little clues mm. that are only like clear from certain angles or if you're only highlighting a page in a certain way and um they really do make it feel like this is actually something that could be unlocked and i think yeah. that they did a, a handsome job at that um other oh there's uh, other characters we haven't mentioned there was yeah. a, a young boy who's uh, uh in, in grant grant yeah who's who's like maybe 10 and he's the one who uh, uses his youth to scheme his way into the comic book convention at the beginning of the series mm-hmm. to get uh, get Utopia, or at least a couple of uh, some of it. Yeah, he reminds me a lot of Billy Batson from Shazam. Like he's he's on his own. Yeah, he's very he's very smart. He's very conniving, uh, and he's part of this group. And they don't. There's this cute bit where like they think he's some adult. 
mm. and some guy and he's arguing about he's uh, he's talking about how much money he has and they think he, this Grant guy is very well to do and they don't realize he's like a ten year old kid and uh, at some point they find out he's a ten year old kid and they're like oh my god he used so many exclamation points it all makes sense now <laughs> and all his texts use all his exclamation points mm. and I was like that's cute yeah that's funny. But um, uh, he ends up hiding out with a young girl uh, who ends up becoming part of the main cast mm-hmm. uh, because horrible things happen to her as well. Yeah, and then she ends up uh, doing horrible things in order to compensate for it psychologically. Mm-hmm. People just do horrible things consistently. And the idea of characters who have a moral compass don't keep them long. Yeah, There's this cool bit towards the end where they have uh, John Cusack tied up. And they're mm-hmm. like trying to get information out of him and they're trying to find a way to stop. I'll, we'll explain his old vast conspiracy in a minute, but because what we told you was only like phase one. Um, but they're trying to get him to talk and also trying to find a way to stop his vast conspiracy. And uh, they're talking about, okay, well, I guess we need to break into your lab and destroy all this vaccine. And he's like, well, in order to do that, you're going to have to cut off my thumb. You know, it uh, seems like something really easy to do until you have to do it. And then at this point, the character who was the most sensitive and kind just goes thunk, thwack. And like, he's just smiling like, I cut off his thumb. And he's just like, we've come a long way, haven't we? Well, and, and I loved uh, John Cusack's, you know, you have to cut off my thumb. I don't think you have the guts to do it. And the thwack. And he just sort of like rolls his eyes. Really? <laughs> you just I, lost a I, thumb. I was like, oh, I underestimated you. I, well, I was wrong. Well, okay. Yeah. Um, it's a fun cast of characters. Uh, Some of them die really wish didn't. Not just Jessica Roth. But, uh, yeah. Poor Rain Wilson gets pushed around a lot. So uh, yeah, he, he discovers what's going on. He discovers that there's some something fishy going on with the virus and mm-hmm. with the way the vaccine is being handled. There's this whole segment a, where he thinks he's giving this like teenage girl the vi- uh, the vaccine, not realizing that... Um, that she has an identical twin that they're going to switch her with. Mm-hmm. She's going to die of the virus, and the girl who never had the virus is going to appear to have miraculously recovered. Yeah. Um, that whole bit gets really, really dark on a variety mm. of levels. But it's surreal because yeah. we uh, we understand that uh, these teenage girls are perfectly willing to die. Mm-hmm. They're prepared. They're, ra- they're raised and, in this yeah. cult-like environment. Like this is and, this, uh, this is their purpose, as they put and it. And indeed, when we first see them, they say, "Okay, you're are you ready to do the sacrifice?" And she says, "Yeah, I'm ready. That's what I'm. This is this was my purpose in this crowded world. Mm-hmm. Uh, do I get my last meal?" And there's this weird interval. Where we're in and we move into this tent that's just been laid out with like a royal meal on silver platters. All of these foods they've been denied mm. because they were decadent or whatever. Mm. And they're just eating jello and crab and like, oh, it's slimy. Yeah. What, is, what is jello? It's they've so never weird. had these before. Meanwhile, yeah. the, the man who has been raising them as their father mm. is starting to have second thoughts about this. Because and he's he built a connection yeah. to them and he's not supposed mm. to do that. Um, and he ends up getting really despondent. There's this great bit where uh, the one who survives and becomes like the face of the vaccine and is going to encourage people to take the vaccine. She started to like disrupt the narrative and started to like when she's talking to the press, make mm. stuff up, add new stories. And she's really pissing John Cusack off. Like, uh, the, the story she makes up is like uh, the, her father figure uh, ends up committing suicide yeah. because of the, the conspiracy he's a part of. and. Yeah. She decides to start like putting on makeup and looking really nice for the camera, like Norma Desmond. Yeah, it's like, what's going on with your father? Oh well, um, I don't really know. But uh, 
he was actually even worse than you thought and starts spreading these horrible rumors about how he was uh, he, he was, was sexually he, assaulting her and yeah. he's just making up all this stuff just because it was fun and for John her. And John Cusack's like, no, that's not the yeah. narrative. <laughs> and so he actually sends Arby out after her and by this point, Arby is starting to maybe have second thoughts as well about the course mm. of action that he's uh, a part of. And we don't find out the real impetus for that until much later. Yeah, um, We just know that at one point he just starts feeling bad about killing people. And there's this great bit, and it's it should piss me off because it's this kind of like corporate synergy kind of thing, but it's this great bit where she's just like, "Hey, Arby, I know you're you're you feel like you know your place, and I but I'm out here in the world now, and I I'm with all these people who can decide what their own purpose is. I'm getting really intoxicated by it. And hey, have you ever had a Pepsi? <laughs> and it just cuts to him drinking a Pepsi, and he's going. That's pretty good. Yeah, I've never <laughs> had anything like this before. Yeah, uh, Arby was is only ever seen eating raisins. Yeah, that's his his gimmick, his quirk. Yeah, L- little individual boxes of raisins too. Yeah. Um. So. Uh, so yeah, the 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 conspiracy mounts, and what we eventually find after we kidnap John Cusack, and we confirm what was pretty obvious from the beginning that he was Mister Rabbit. Like, yeah. it would have been weirder if he found out he wasn't. And maybe there's, like, some kind of, uh, you know, there's another twist on top of it at the end that we'll get to in a minute that might throw a little mm. cloudiness on top of that. Um, but he finds out his his actual plan, he wasn't trying to kill everybody with this virus. What he was trying to do was to get everyone in the world to want to take this vaccine. Mm. And in the vaccine, he would put not a killer virus but a virus that would sterilize people for three generations mm. so that they would drop the population down, thus saving the planet. Mm. I am so sick to fucking death <laughs> of this plot point. And I'm the, sick... The, it, the, the mad environmentalist. Yeah, this is something... And again, we talked about this on one of our Patreon podcasts, but this is... All, even Ted Cruz picked up on this. He talked mm. about this in an interview not that long ago. That people like Thanos or the bad guy in Aquaman... Mm. There's a lot of bad guys in movies. This is in Hobbs and Shaw. This is on Godzilla King of the Monsters. There's a lot of bad guys in pop culture right now. And the writers are trying to think of some interesting way to justify them doing bad things while thinking of themselves as a hero. Mm. It's a constant artist struggle. You're constantly trying to find a way to keep bad guys interesting, topical, relevant. And, and relatable. And relatable. Like and, they, they have they have a, a goal that you would also... Want. You you understand why they're doing this. Mm-hmm. And the thing that people seem to have all glommed on together all at once, I don't know how many people are just, it's some kind of like synergy or some energy in the air and everyone's getting the same idea or people are actively being influenced mm-hmm. by one another. Who can say it doesn't really matter? The point is there's a lot of media out there in which the bad guy who is functionally, if not literally, trying to commit genocide in order to keep the population down, protect the world's resources, save the environment, make sure that the planet is inhabitable for many years to come. And like, oh, well, it's a sacrifice now, but in the future, humanity will be so much better off for it. And aren't you glad we did that kind of nightmarish villainy? Um, And I'm going to say it right now, in a vacuum, that's not the worst idea for a villain. But Mm. when you do that all the time, all you are doing is showing in movies the only people who care about overpopulation, the environment, mm-hmm. all of these issues, which actually are a real factor in our lives, issues that need to be a concern, need to be addressed in some way they're over all, time. They're uh, all mad. They're all mad. Yeah. They're all homicidal. 
they're all overreacting and to a one and they're what what we need to acknowledge in all of this is that their means are monstrous exactly but hmm. here's my thing though because obviously the means are monstrous no the thing that i think is making this a problem isn't that the bad guys are doing monstrous things to solve a real problem Mm. the problem is that the heroes are never doing anything to solve the real problem that is no issue they they never go in on it they never suggest to the villain hey why don't you do this that was that was my biggest issue with uh with the avengers yeah it's like i'm gonna wipe out everything because there's there's finite resources when the the little widget he has Uh that's going to allow him to do that can solve problems in other ways. You could make more resources. <laughs> you could, you There's could, so much overpopulation. Yeah. Okay, make more inhabitable planets. Yeah. You could do that. <laughs> it's easy. You can do that. You can do anything at mm. all. You can it's, solve a problem in some way that doesn't involve mm. homicidal mania. And at no point when they say like, okay, listen, we want to bring everyone back. Fine. The fundamental problem of natural resources and mm-hmm. overpopulation. These are actual issues that still exist. And they're just like, oh, we'll figure it out eventually. You have an infinity gauntlet. <laughs> Use it. Like, make more reason. You figure out the problem. You can't just say, we have to prevent this person from doing horrible things. And I guess at some point we'll figure it all out through the problem of friendship. It feels like the issues of environmentalism mm. directly or indirectly, depending on how you want to phrase it, that are being addressed by the villains in this kind of media are the kinds of things heroes should be trying to do something about. Mm. And very rarely does this happen. The only movie recently I can think of, and it's not the same thing, but structurally it is, is the Black Panther. Yeah. In Black Panther, the villain, Killmonger, has legit grievances. Mm. He's actually saying, like, Wakanda, by staying out of international affairs... Has allowed act- others to suffer. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's been slavery, racism, you know, all kinds of horrible things that have happened. And if Wakanda hadn't been isolationist, they could have actually put a stop to all these things. He's not wrong. Mm. And at the end of the movie, they stop him from doing something horrible and... The Black Panther says, and we're going to start doing something about this. Mm. We're going to solve the fundamental problem that created the Killmonger. Mm. That's what we need to do. Now, granted, maybe Utopia would have got there and that would have been really, really nice, but we only get this one season. But I keep seeing movie after movie where it all ends with, I'm so glad we stopped Idris Elba from saving the world in a horrible way. No one's denying it's a horrible way. We don't need one of them to do that. But it's just like, okay, are we going to do anything about it? No, we're going to have a barbecue. (laughs) <laughs> okay but there's still problems and you're not doing anything about them so, so the so the so the topic is never framed appropriately yeah well, i i understand it's not that kind of movie but imagine if in in the avengers they brought everybody back mm-hmm. and they immediately had to start reckoning with famine yeah. like in that movie think about it like for for five years mm-hmm. It's about five years, I think. It's, it's like there, there's the like, yeah, there's, there's yeah. a span of years. In it's, it's like five years. We've probably only been making enough food for half the population of the planet. Yeah. You know, that, so now, now, now we got a famine is even yeah. worse. Yeah. There's, there's, they don't talk about that at all. Yeah. There's a lot going on. And frankly, the more you think about that plot point, the the worse it gets. Yeah. Like the, mm-hmm. just it's, I get it. It's a movie, but at the same time, you're the ones asking us for us, us to take it seriously. So we're going to ask these questions. And if you don't have good answers, at least we're going to point them out and yeah. giggle. But wouldn't that, or another twist, like mm-hmm. there's a bit where the, the Hulk gets to make a wish yeah. on, on, the, on the magic wish stone. He wishes everybody back. And he wishes everybody back. Instead of wishing everybody back, what if he had created more resources? Would have been nice. Done like, both. Yeah. 
Why not? Or heck, yeah, you know, magic, magic wish stones. Why not? Yeah, I don't know. Like it just it bothers me that because it just feels like a crisis of creativity on some level. Yeah, yeah. And again, if this was one movie doing it, I wouldn't complain. I'd be like, fine. Yeah, but, but it's a consistent storytelling yeah, trope, it's, and it's, it's a really lazy writing. It's constantly letting um, down a legit issue that they're bringing up. They're choosing to bring it up. I'm I'm willing to forgive it here just because it's presented in such a weird way. Yeah, I don't and complain about it here because it's part of a tapestry. And really. and it it doesn't fall back on the uh, to cite the show again a, a 24 plot twist where mm. it's just a genocidal maniac who's going to kill everybody with a virus. Yeah. I've seen that. It, that's at least three seasons of Twenty Four. Uh, it was bad. season four of Twenty Four. Mm. It was a, yeah, I at least a couple. Yeah, yeah I remember yeah. there was one where there was a virus that they ended up putting in a fridge in a school. It's like, yeah. oh no, it's going to explode. Put it in a fridge. Oh, it's airtight. Okay, we're safe. Just don't yeah. open that fridge. Remember, and wasn't it in season four or Twenty Four? Because season Twenty Four always had a thing where like the first crisis, with like the first like eight episodes of the mm. show, was well, wasn't I, was, the main was crisis. a MacGuffin. Yeah. Like it turns out, this whole viral outbreak thing was actually just a way to get Jack Power, Jack Bauer, back undercover in Mexico. And I'm like, what? That's all really elaborate. Really? Um, I don't know if we needed to do all that. The world of Utopia is so wild and strange yeah. that uh, this this feels a little bit this kind of wild activity feels a little bit more in keeping with the spirit of the thing, and I appreciate that it wasn't a death virus. That mm. it, at least there was that added detail of it being a sterilization virus. Well, that's still eugenics. It's still horrifying. It's eugenics yeah. and it's horrifying, but at least there's like a, a drop of creativity in this cliche. Yeah, it, it went in an, in an unexpected yeah. direction, and then and, there and John people. Cusack gets to talk about it, and he's such a good actor. He's, he's really such an sinister. odd character. Yeah, that uh, that it it feels he makes it sound a little fresh. I feel like John Cusack's an actor we take for granted a little bit because yeah. a lot of his most famous roles he's playing this very uh, likable like lac- everyman everyman yeah. laconic role. You say anything? Hell, even Gross Point Blank, where he's the everyman hitman. Yeah, um, and he's good at that. He's always been good at that. But um, he's really good at sinister. Mm. And I was looking at this and I was like, he's. I mean, it's based on an actual comic book, but like. He's one of the better comic book villains we've seen in a bit, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. He, he's got a lot of personality. We understand what he's going for, mm-hmm. going I, through. I believe we understand that people what he's follow fr- him. Yeah, you know? we, we understand why he's frustrated when things go wrong, which is actually kind of funny. Yeah, he has, he has an has, ethos. Uh, he has philosophies. He has interests that go beyond. It's always, it's always, I think, useful when like you have a side character mm-hmm. who isn't just there to be his plot point. And like he's actually like he's into cycling, yeah. and like this little thing that just pops up sometimes. Like it just shows he's got more going on yeah. than the typical villain and, character. And it's, he's got a great uh, one-liner that I liked. They have him uh, all tied up, and he's explaining his plot because you know, they they have they're going to kill him. And they've cut off his they're going to cut off his thumb, and he's he starts saying, "Well, this is my plot. I'm going to sterilize the world," and uh, you know. All, this problem, overpopulation. This problem is overpopulation. You know, extinction of other animals is the problem because there's too many people. It's like, oh, so your your idea is to save all the pandas? Is that it? And he looks looks up very and very frankly says, never in history has there been a species begging for extinction more than the fucking panda. <laughs> but the pandas, yeah, I, I I get it. The pandas Indeed. are not breeding very quickly. But mm-hmm. regardless, like, yeah, he's he's got his frustrations, doesn't he? Right. Um, I, I wish no ill to the panda. <laughs> pandas are cute well the the super villain however doesn't think highly of pandas well he well, it's a point brought up in the show where people only care about like you know this well that's not this is not strictly true but sometimes it seems like people only care about things like oh we have to save this animal if those animals are cute mm. and there's a lot of animals where they're just like it's i fun. don't care about this animal it's not cute 
can't turn it into a you know a Disney film. De- Dennis Leary has a bit about that yeah. from, from way back in the nineties. And again, it speaks to this sort of cynicism about the human race and how mm. uh, the show doesn't think terribly highly of the human race, mm. at least not as a whole. Like in Micro, you get all these characters who you know they're pushed to their extremes, their extremes of morality and ethics and uh, violence, and they find inner strength. Mm. And that's all cool. We didn't really talk too much about uh, the main cast, actually. We should probably show. yeah. There's there's actually a, a interesting yeah. slew of characters. Uh, yeah. We have um, uh, there's there- a, there's Ian who is sort of mm. like the dweeby, uh, relatively normal guy who isn't even that into utopia. He just likes having a group of friends. Well, uh, he, he, and he likes having someone he can flirt with because he has recently sort of caught the eye of uh, Becky. Mm-hmm. who is uh, a big Utopia fan, and they yeah. sort of have a, a, a little bit of a relationship going, and he's mm. concerned how he's going to continue a relationship with Becky when they've essentially just witnessed all this yeah. death and murder. Their lives are, are yeah. over as they know it. They're on the run. They're a part mm. of a conspiracy. Uh, he's played by an actor uh, named Dan Bird, uh, who was in the remake of The Hills of Eyes. She's played by an actor I'm not as familiar with, Ashley Lathrop. Uh, then there's their big conspiracy kook, guy uh wilson wilson played by desmond borges uh, who was on that show you're the worst desmond get me a jason mansukas type borges um he's got a good vibe actually he's got his own thing and he's he's the one who's like a conspiracy theorist he has a like a bunker that he's built himself Mm -hmm. like a bomb shelter with all of these canned foods in it yeah Uh, and he he actually believes very wholeheartedly in the virus conspiracies in dystopia the comic book and he, um, and he is the one who is going to have his eye removed by Spoon. Yeah, they're they're the main cast. We add more over time. Uh, we learn more and more about uh, Jessica Hyde and the actual reality behind the conspiracy theory and, and that the, she's the, a part of. And the she identity starts, of her father is a big part of this, too. A huge part of it. And uh, she starts acquiring a little bit more humanity as she spends more time with other human beings. Mm. Uh, but it never quite takes... <laughs> Um, and then it all boils down to they have to team up and try to destroy all of this vaccine uh, before they can be distributed. And um, they do. But uh, that's not everything. And it turns <laughs> out John Cusack escapes because uh, basically confirming everything that Wilson Wilson was always afraid of ultimately turns him to the villain's side because, hey, I was right. Yeah. Uh, which I actually bought. I was actually mm. worried that was going to be like... Something like, oh, who's going to believe him? Okay, Wilson actually would. And, Wilson, and, I actually believe, would join this. And, like, and they, yeah. Gillian Flynn, who wrote every episode, by the way, yeah. uh, she wisely gives him a few moments where he gets to sort of like rant off to the side, like, oh, go, go into another house. They have too much stuff. Mm-hmm. This is, fr- I can't find anything. You have too much stuff. You need to live more simply. Yeah, you're buying stuff that corporations want you to buy. You don't need this. And, and those, I'm those... not taking. I'm not taking any drugs for when I have my mm-hmm. eye cut out and like you need antibiotics. That's just what big pharma wants mm-hmm. you to think. Like that so kind of thing. Th- those are like funny character moments, mm-hmm. but at the same time, they're laying the groundwork for plot later on. So it's yeah. actually really good writing. It is really really good mm-hmm. writing. Um, and uh, Becky, it turns out, is dying from one of the diseases that Mr. Rabbit like unleashed. He unleashed it so long ago he forgot he did it, which I thought was a cool plot point. <laughs> uh, just a nice little bit of casual evil. Uh, Rain Wilson finds his strength. Turns out his wife was actually part of this conspiracy all along, and she's got horrible plans for him. And that that was that was the the weirdest. Uh, 
You didn't you surprise. Didn't, you didn't, didn't see that one coming. I didn't see that one coming. I, by that point, I kind of did. Okay. I kind of thought. Well, I, at some I, point, you're, you're preparing yourself to be ready for anything because this show really yeah. does kind of keep. You I was ready toes. for his wife to reveal that she was part of the conspiracy about half an episode, maybe one episode before she did, mm. because I was just like, she's not. She stopped being super supportive of him when he started going off script, and <laughs> I was like, maybe she's not. Yeah, okay. Turns out, yeah, that mm-hmm. all tracks. Um, but uh, it ends with uh, the main cast scattered to the wind. Some of them are arrested. Some of them are kidnapped by John Cusack and Wilson. Uh, and uh, Jessica Hyde ends up going back to the place where she was raised and finding out that this character who they thought was working for Homeland Security but was actually just working for The Home, uh, the one played by Sonia Son. Uh, she is actually work. She's actually been working with Mr. Rabbit all along, but they're not on the same page anymore. I mean, she might actually want to destroy the world. And also her dad is alive. Turns out we thought he was dead the whole time. And I was like, this is another one of those things. It's just like Hellstrom. You keep talking about the dad. You keep talking about the dad. He died off screen. Of course he's coming in at the end. Of course he is. So that we, we see, we don't like, have a scene with the dad. He just appears no. on screen. We see his back. Yeah, because they're going to cast him later and try to get the biggest actor they can later. Yeah. That's what they're going to do. <laughs> later yeah. on, he's going to turn around and it's, I don't fucking know. John Malkovich or something. Yeah, Jeffrey yeah. Wright or something. I don't know. Something. It's going to be cool. But, mm. um, and then that's, uh, that's the end of the series. And I got to tell you, that's a, I was, I was in this situation where sometimes, a season finale of a show is clearly a season finale. You know, mm. it's so definitive. Um, even with a cliffhanger, it's just definitively the season finale. Yeah. I immediately clicked to watch the next episode because I was like, every episode ends with like this big a turnaround. Uh-huh. And so I'm clicking I'm like, there's only eight episodes of this. I thought there were 10. Yeah. Oh, come on. Oh, I was getting, <laughs> I was finally into it. Uh-huh. I, at first, I was kind of turned off by its casual cynicism, mm. by some of its, um, some of the, I'm going to just say it, some of the cheapness of its attempts to like get our attention with mm. just raucous violence and unexpected uh, debauchery. Um, and, and I really thought it, the way that it tried to grab us was a little immature at okay. first. But over time, I grew to really appreciate the many layers of the actual narrative and the character work and how every single little thing was in some respects important later, even if it seemed like a casual throwaway. Mm. And that's hard to do. And it's hard to do and make it seem fun and not just like some kind of math problem that gets solved, like I know, the movie Primer or something. So well, I actually I, think they did a really good job with this. And by the end, I was on board. But I wasn't at first. I, I was, uh, I, I kind of, I was just grabbed right away. It's rare that a show will just get me and keep me. Yeah. Like, often it'll, like, charge out of the gate really strong, and then it'll just sort of, like, spin its wheels yeah. for a little like too long. Like, four episodes yeah. in, they start running like, out of ideas. Like, oh, really a couple you had, of filler episodes. You had a good or... idea for a start, but yeah, you kind of ran out of energy. This never runs out of energy. It no. stays at a good clip. It keeps the surprises coming. I think it helps that Gillian Flynn is a novelist, which is a format that allows for these bigger sprawling narratives. Mm-hmm. So she, but, and she's also a TV critic. She knows how mm-hmm. both of those media work. Yeah. And she's, I think she's, she's really she's... expertly weaving together this big novel like story yeah. into a TV format. I admire the way I've seen like a lot of her, like I've seen like some of her movie stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I haven't read her novel and I didn't see um, sharp objects, but uh, I admire the way that she uses pulp storytelling techniques 
to convey a deeper narrative. Yeah. And that's uh, something I think it's, I think Gone Girl completely nails it mm-hmm. where this is an airport novel, but the more you read it, the more you realize that all these airport novel trappings, these uh, salacious moments, these, this, that one really wild murder towards the end or, uh, you know, all of these big twists that occur and how they're ex- perfectly timed to keep your attention at a time mm-hmm. when other movies would just start to lose you. Uh, but, in doing so, they actually reveal new things about the characters and the themes of the story, yeah. and it actually ends up really enriching it rather than simply grabbing you, which is yeah. perfectly fine. And a lot of great pulp movies do that, and they don't have a lot more beyond it. She's really found a good balance. And I think here, yeah. the pulp is really in your face. And for a little bit, I thought that's all there was to it. And I still think it's a little thin, like maybe and like mm. its well, ideas are kind of immature and adolescent in terms of like, here's what the world's really like, man. I'd, I'd rather, but I still think it works really well. I'd rather have that kind of in your face pulp narrative told in a really exciting way mm-hmm. and be sort of uh, cynical in a punk rock sort of way than the uh, alternative, which would have been let's shoot everything through blue filters and just have these heavy, long moments of just dour nihilism. Yeah. There's, there's a way to tell a depressing show. There's a a way to tell a nihilistic mean spirited show with a lot of energy. And this is it. And uh, it's a blast yeah. Uh, they canceled it real fast. I understand 100% why it wasn't successful. There's, there's actually a disclaimer in front of every episode of this show, and it's clear because this we actually didn't actually give the uh, uh, the, the dates on this. Oh, I, I should, did. I, it it came we, out in late September of 2020. Okay, so I, I want to give the exact date. It was right. September 25th. Right. Uh, but, uh, yeah, by that point, we had been in the pandemic for a while, and I can picture in my head... Everyone on this show who was like, listen, we worked so hard to bring this British series to life in a new, fresh, and very American way, and we got this wonderful talent behind it, and we got this great cast, and we think it's really, really fun. Shit. Oh, no. And so we have it in the either, can. It's clearly done. We either have to, either so have to hold off on this thing. And for, for who wait, knows how yeah. long. Like, seriously, the pandemic's still going, isn't it? Like, we've got vaccines, but it's going to take a while for anything to even remotely get normal again. And even then, this is going to be a fresh memory. It's it's going to be, I think, this kind of narrative is going to be a touchy subject for a lot of people for a while. So they've got it. they got to do something with it. And every episode begins with a disclaimer. Some of the things in this episode are, in this series are very upsetting. This isn't based on anything true. Mm. But it sets the tone that you might not have fun here. Yeah. And in well, some and cases, the, you might not. There might be people who are actually going through things right now in the pandemic who have no interest in seeing this. Yeah. the Using a, a virus to kill the world is an old thriller trope. Mm-hmm. That um, we're right in a, we're in a moment where we're, that's not going to be fun for a while. It's yeah. like, uh, you know, it used to be fun to, to blow up government buildings in movies. In movies. In movies. Just to be clear. <laughs> I'm thinking of Independence Day yeah, in, Independence in particular, State, but they sold the, the idea of yeah. aliens blowing up the White House in Independence Day. That was on the poster. Yeah. And, and that people, was the selling point. And they show that that teaser uh, in, in theaters and they ended up having to censor it a little bit in the movie. Mm-hmm. If, if you recall in the preview for Independence Day, there's a ship above the White House and it fires the laser and the White House blows up. Mm-hmm. And in the movie, they added a, an exploding helicopter in front of it. Yeah. Like, you know, like helicopters always flying in front of the White House, like yeah. 10 feet above the ground. It's like there's it's a cool, helicopter but it doesn't really explodes. Track. It kind of covers the White House. And I'm wondering if that was an effort to sort of 
censor the image or maybe just jazz it up a little I think bit. I think they were trying to make it look less flat. Maybe so. Looks a little flat otherwise. I suppose. It lo- uh, it might start to look like a model after a while. Well, which it was. Which it, was but, it literally was. Um, but yeah, then uh, after 9-11, there was this big reckoning in Hollywood. What co- We can't have that kind of violence anymore because we've seen it in real life now. Yeah, it's, it's a not, lot of people it's not lost fun. people. Yeah, this yeah. is not a fun thing to look at anymore. This is actually really traumatic. And if you think about it, on some level, it probably always should have been. We yeah. probably should have been looking at that well, the, and going, oh, those poor people. Like, that's probably, like, well, the where idea we should was, be thinking. It was but supposed to be so extreme. It's so absurd. And so absurd and so out of the yeah. realm that it was okay to enjoy that. I yeah. think the idea of having the world-killing virus as a plot point, something we'll have to wait a while before we start revisiting again. Yeah, I don't think James Bond can do that for a while. No. You know? uh, you can't, you have, if you're going to do that, you have uh, to take it seriously for a little bit. To probably. Utopia's credit, because it takes place in such a weird world, yeah. it doesn't ever feel like it's touching the real. It doesn't feel topical. Not especially. The, the, the deaths are the kind cons- of fantasy deaths. I think I think for me, the thing that felt the most like, oh, maybe now's a good, not a good time wasn't mm. the fact that there's a killer virus because that's been a trope for so long I'm kind of desensitized to it. Mm. Uh, it was the uh, really leaning into vaccines are going to are going to destroy the world yeah that's the, the, the part va- of the it that's probably conspiracy theories leaning into that gross. really hard and confirming that conspiracy theory within the world of the film that's the one part where i was like maybe we didn't have to go out of our way to affirm that mm-hmm. right now like maybe that's bad timing but um regardless some people aren't going to be into it for that reason mm-hmm. perfectly understandable Again, it's not a matter of whether or not you can tell that story or whether or not you should tell that story. It's a matter of whether or not people are going to find it in good taste right now. And that's variable. And that varies Mm. from person to person, from time to time, from generation to generation. Sometimes we never go back because we just grow as people. And that's good. We probably should do that. But... Uh, here's one where just clearly the timing was the worst. Yeah. yeah. The abs- this this came out last year at the same time, like not last year, but like a year ago, September. Mm. Probably would have appeared to at least better notices. I think mm. more people might have. It, it, the reviews were really mixed. Uh, but I think maybe people would have been more willing to just suspend their disbelief and enjoy it a little bit more. Yeah, for sure. Uh, because it's a, it's a it's a thrilling series. It's thrilling. It really series. Is. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's it's incredibly well written. It yeah. has really good characters. Um, I, I'm, I'll just go on record and say I think it was canceled too soon. Yeah. This is one of those things where they did conclude the story, and often I see these big thrilling uh, on canceled too soon. These big long thrilling uh, TV shows that do conclude. And I feel like even though I really loved it, I don't want to see more. Yeah, we don't. Like, I feel like you you covered all your ground. Yeah. I'm good with what I got. This the is, story concluded. Yeah, we don't. Yeah. Or even if it didn't conclude, I'm comfortable with as much as we got. And I don't necessarily see the series having such significant yeah. legs that I think that sometimes I think that if the series had continued, it just would have burned out pretty quick. Yeah. This uh, is I one where I imagine we probably would have only gotten a few more seasons. Like maybe, this was two this, more. I know this the, wasn't going to be a hundred episodes. The, the British show only lasted two seasons, yeah. as is, yeah. uh, and I'm not sure if even if this was a big hit. Only uh, excuse me. Only if this was a big hit, were they going to go beyond that? Yeah. Uh, but I'll say this: I'm interested in what happens next. Yeah. So you're going to watch they, the British they, series? I, I'm tempted to seek it out. I mean, yeah. I, I don't have a lot of time to just. Watch things for fun. Well, it's so many. But, it's, uh, it's fewer episodes. Yeah. Let me check it out. Let me actually. Um... But yeah, I'm, I'm interested in seeking out the British series just to see where it would have gone. There are only twelve episodes of the British series. 
okay. So you so. could you could get through that, you know, when you have some time. If, if I ever have some some extra time. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, but, I, to, but I was, yeah. where they left it, you know, they, they revealed that the father was alive and we entered this weird death camp and these characters were kind of redefined at the last minute and everybody's kind of sold their souls, but kind of gotten a scrap of it back. And that feels like a victory to them. And, uh, I'm interested to see what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I want to see what happens next. You said you were waiting to click to, for the next episode. Yeah. I wanted it. Yeah. I, I wanted, I, wanted to start I, the next season right away. I really thought there was, there was going to be more. I really thought this was uh, gonna. I really thought there were two episodes left. Mm-hmm. It really did feel like we got cut right in the middle of the story, and that's good. That's mm-hmm. that's exciting. I remember um, the last series. I remember really thinking that uh, was I was watching Battlestar Galactica. I caught caught up on that show like halfway through its run, uh-huh. and I was watching the DVDs. I was watching the DVDs, and then I was like, "Oh, what a great episode!" That's it. That's the end. <laughs> what was a season? Only six episodes. What the fuck did you do? What the fuck did you do? Sci-fi. Um, I was so mad. So I probably, you know, would have had that reaction here if it mm. wasn't, you know, so old and cynical. Um, but yeah, I think this, I think this was canceled too soon. Again, I I can't imagine it going more than maybe two more season stops. Yeah. But I would have liked to have seen those. Well, yeah, I want to see those. I would have liked to have seen those. Uh, so kudos to everyone involved. Uh, next time on canceled too soon. We're going to do a complete about face and talk about a sci-fi series about a utopia. <laughs> this was voted on by our listeners. Yep. Um, this is a show that's on Peacock. Yeah. Uh, this was one of the big uh, launch titles for Peacock when it first came out uh, just last year. I think it's our first Peacock show. That's our first Peacock show. Yeah. Uh, it's the only Peacock show. <laughs> for now. Uh, I think they're doing Oh, no, Peacock. What happened? <laughs> What are, what are you going to bet Bet folds first, Peacock or Apple TV Plus? Oh, Peacock. Apple's got the money. They don't have yeah, to fold that so. thing anytime any soon. Peacock, for me, it's a question of uh, Peacock or Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus. I, th- well, think they, I think at some point a couple of the studios that don't have as many exciting IPs as Warner Brothers mm-hmm. and Disney are gonna join forces. They're gonna have to. I think I think Paramount and Universal are just gonna fold together at some point and just mm. say we're Paraversal. And <laughs> we're I'd starting watch Paraversal Plus. Where we've got Paraversal Paraversal Plus is a good sell. Mm. What just one or the other? Meh. Especially since Peacock removed I haven't checked, but like a couple of months ago, they had a really respectable Classic Universal section? film back catalog. Yeah, like yeah. they had a really respectable classic section, and they got rid of almost every movie from like before 1970. They had like all the Universal monster movies there. there a bunch of Hitchcock on what there. The yeah, it was, it was fuck amazing. did you do? That was the best but, part uh, of Peacock. But one of the big one that of their big, she wrote. Uh, one of their big expensive launch shows that was already shit canned was uh, a new adaptation of Aldous Huxley's Brave New World. Yeah. And uh, I've started to watch it already. It is a new take on Brave New World. It's a new aesthetic. It takes... It, if you don't know Brave New World, first of all, read it. It's one of the great dystopian novels, but... It you got takes, a week. It takes place in a future where everybody is genetically manipulated to uh, uh, belong to a certain class of worker, and all of the uh, upper-class people just stay zonked out on drugs the entire time. A drug called Soma, which just makes them feel good, and... It's this kind of hedonistic society where everybody just sort of goes to orgies and doesn't really care about anything. And then there's the outlands where people who aren't allowed in uh, just sort of live on their own means. And it's about what happens when somebody from the outlands, uh, a child of somebody who left the utopia, 
tries to reintegrate and realizes that this utopia is actually the worst possible place. It's actually to live. a dystopia. Yeah. 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 All that, right. That's so. the Aldous Huxley book. Um, this TV show is pretty high profile. It's got like Demi Moore in it mm-hmm. and Elden Ehrenreich and a lot of no- notable actors. Yeah. Um, well, I'm excited to take a look. I've actually never read the novel. <gasps> oh my goodness! Yeah, I but recommend I, it. I did hear it described in the movie Tomorrowland, so I think I got the gist. Well, you heard it described just now when I described <laughs> it to you. <laughs> my point is, before that, I'd already. I know. Uh, but yeah, that's coming up next on Cancel Too Soon. So thank you everybody for listening. Thank you every single one of our patrons, not just for voting for this episode and getting us to watch Utopia, which is pretty cool, uh, but also for supporting the show. And if it wasn't for your contributions, this show and all the other shows of the critically acclaimed network would not exist. We wouldn't mm. be able to do them. So thank you everybody. Uh, if you haven't signed up for our Patreon yet, uh, we totally get it. Times are really hard, but if you can afford it, you get a ton of back catalog stuff. Mm. We've got like probably at least 50 hours of podcasts dedicated to every single episode of Star Trek. Uh, we're about to wrap up our coverage of every single episode of Star Trek, the original series. Mm. Uh, and we're going to jump right into the animated series. Cause that podcast is dedicated to every Star Trek ever. Uh, I'm really not just that. Star Trek, but every Star Trek. Yeah, we've got uh, Holy Batman, uh, where we're reviewing every single episode of the 1960s Batman. Uh, over, even at, that's just at our one dollar a month tier, so you get a big back catalog of that. Also, our one dollar a month tier is where we have our entire review of all of Firefly. All of that's available mm. just as soon as you sign up. And the one dollar tier also gives you access to all of our polls, so you can yeah. actually vote as well, and you can uh, make your voice known. Yeah. Uh, we also have a five dollar tier where we have a podcast called Not on Disney Plus. Uh, where we talk about stuff that should be on the Disney Plus streaming network, but mysteriously isn't. And this month, we just uh, we just released uh, our this month's episode, which is a, t- a double feature of two horror movies Disney released in the '80s uh, that they reshot and completely mangled, and they tanked at the box office. But they're actually really interesting. Uh, they're The Watcher in the Woods and Something Wicked This Way Comes. Mm. Uh, so that was a really cool conversation. I'm glad uh, we got to revisit those films. Um, we got commentary tracks. We got all kinds of stuff uh, over there as well. So thank you for everyone who's enjoying those already. And if you haven't yet, please check them out. Uh, M. Lopez de Silva and I have an Etsy store. Etsy, uh, uh, if you go on Etsy, you search for Salt Cat Soap. Uh, you will see our handmade soaps. They're all designed by M. Lopez de Silva right now. I might have a few later on in the year, probably dedicated to the Schmodown. Uh, but we have a ton of new scents, uh, designs uh, that debuted this month uh, in for Valentine's Day and also for any time of the year. Uh, we hope you enjoy. We got a really good review so far. Uh, you can also email us letters at criticallyacclaimed.net if you want to talk about anything we discussed in this episode, anything at all unrelated to anything, whatever you want, really. Just email mm-hmm. us and we might read your email on an upcoming episode of We've Got Mail. And, of course, we're on Twitter, at Critic Acclaim. I, myself, am at William Debiani. I am at Whitney Seibold. And that is a wrap. We will see you next season. 